Empire of the Suns. Suns. Empire of the Suns. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Arizona Sports presents the Empire of the Suns podcast. Empire of the Suns. Welcome to the Empire of the Suns podcast. My name is Kellen Olson, joined as always by Kevin Zimmerman, live Footprint Center edition. That means it's the playoffs, and boy, did we have a monumental uh, Game 5 here in Phoenix. A huge one uh, for a lot of different reasons. This was a big game. You can go through many of them. We won't really because the game's over now and the, the fates have been decided. 112.97 Suns win Kevin we spent the last two podcasts talking about how this is not the Suns team we recognize and what I realized is that in a couple of different ways the last last year I just phrased it as I, I remember in the Milwaukee series or in the Clippers series, I can't remember West Conference Finals or Finals I just put it as the Bucks series I think it was because it was so strange to see another team outwork the Suns and I think we kind of got back to that tonight where it's like this is the Suns team we're used to that doesn't let any other team outwork them and that was the most we didn't really touch on it that much but that was the most alarming thing out of the four games and what money talked about on Monday uh from it from his office and like a, it wasn't even a practice availability it was just like a zoom availability where he said like they got the team that's getting the 50 50 balls is winning these games and we saw the Suns play with a sense of urgency in the in that category where they realized like they had to bring the juice tonight or and they always know that but they, they for whatever reason they were able to find it tonight and again I'm still I don't know why I, I'm I'm looking less at the why and just the fact that it happened and it's really good news for the Suns now because if they've got a three two lead and unless Devin Booker is trolling the Pelicans which would be hilarious everyone has said that everyone around that area has said when he was walking off the court he said i'm back in the direction of the pelicans bench i think it would be hilarious if he didn't play and it was just a bait um but he could he could be coming back we'll see but obviously even if he doesn't come back a a pretty humongous win because you've got home court if weird stuff happens in game six you've still got game seven here back in phoenix if you need it i think just the main takeaway for me was even the guys who didn't play great were helpful like all of twitter was like tearing apart campaigns like drives and misses but like i saw him doing what his coach wanted and that was playing aggressively downhill which look the the free throws went against the suns again we don't have to discuss that again but this team doesn't get to the free throw line a lot but they were getting downhill today like they came out with the focus of okay we're not just going to take the open three like the threes were good looks that they had been getting but like he was getting downhill and yeah he should do better drawing fouls but that was kind of the mentality he picked up six fouls some of them were bad (laughs) but they were all hustle plays and I think that kind of encapsulated like all the bench guys Diombo in eight minutes, Aaron Holiday in like six minutes. Um, we'll talk about the guy, the man of the hour in a little bit here, but like from one to ten or whatever the rotation was, they were all just like locked in and 
they looked like themselves. It, it was that moment of, and, and a full game of, like, even though the Pelicans made runs, I thought, okay, the Suns, like, they're missing Devin Booker. They have a few bad offensive possessions here or there, but they look like themselves after four games, if not. Exactly. Um, we'll get to campaign in a bit. I described it as him short-circuiting. It just seemed like uh, the it, the file running in his brain just broke during this game. It was wild. I've never seen someone play basketball like that in terms of the responsibilities that they hold handling the ball. It was nuts. Uh, we'll talk about that in a bit. Uh, Monty said that it was Kevin Young in the shoot-around this morning that was talking about an urgency to get in the paint. Like, we need to get in there. And that is where you look at the offense and what they could get done without um, Devin Booker. And that's something Monty mentioned pregame as well, that, like, when we get our feet in the paint, that's when we can really get great shots. He's like, yeah, we get good to great shots, but we can get great shots almost every time as long as the person driving the ball just gets in the paint. And... I thought Eddie Johnson, watching the second half back of Game 4, he was brilliant in just pointing out these possessions where a Suns ball handler or driver was a step or two too soon shooting the ball when they should have just gotten really under the basket, drawn the contact, and gone from there. We saw a drive from Cam Johnson doing that. We saw a couple of different drives that campaign had, too, where they were seeking out contact a lot more. And it just seems like their mindset was a lot better there. Uh, it is criminal. We have gone this far in the podcast without saying Mikel Bridges out loud. I've seen every game that he has played for the Suns. He has never played a better one than this one. He defended Brandon Ingram and C.J. McCollum over 47 minutes. He missed 76 total seconds of the game. Um, that was necessary because Jay Crowder got into foul trouble not only in the first half but in the second half as well. So Mikel just couldn't come out of the game and... Monty's plan appeared to be that Tory Craig was not going to not going to play no matter what, and I think it makes a lot of sense because Monty has always told us that he always has like a sit down conversation with those guys. So I bet his thinking was, I just sat down and told Tory like you're not going to play tonight. Like, do, do am I going to bring him back in? I'm sure he said like stay ready and never know what happens. But at the same time, he stuck with what his rotation tweaks were and he just played Mikel for 47 minutes. And you and I foolishly Kevin doubted this man for his defense on Brandon Ingram he was phenomenal on Ingram it was crazy my favorite play that he made was rather incon it was pretty inconsequential and very normal looking but in the last possession of the third quarter Ingram brought over someone to get Chris Paul switched on him twice whoever Chris Paul was defending and Mikel or campaign and Mikel Bridges was like no like I'm, I'm just gonna move through this like we're not doing this soft switch BS that everyone does in the league and Mikel has Mikel and the Suns I'm sure it's not Mikel but the Suns have been I was complaining after game one about them giving up those soft switches and Mikel is basically like no but and by soft switch I mean that someone will basically come over and set a ghost screen set a screen that isn't even a real screen just to essentially get the other guy on the and there's no penalty for just moving your feet a little bit yeah and, and just getting just over there. everything off. it's just it's just lazy it really just is yeah. I don't know what else to call it and Mikel was like I'm not being lazy right now you're gonna have to score on me and then Ingram tried three Hesse's didn't move anywhere and Mikel got a really good contest in his face and, and then he was really pumped after that and that's like a sort of he was talking all game I said about 60 games into this year that for whatever reason the confidence swagger best team in the world stuff had really affected him more than anyone else because he has developed into that trash talking FU guy whenever he makes a three in front of 
uh, the opposing bench will always turn around and just look at him for a second and just be like, hey, that was me. I was doing that. Um, when he blocked Devontae Graham's shot, they're buddies, but he, he's talking to him when he's coming back on the court. There's just a swagger that he's found to his game where that four-year, $90 million contract, holy smokes, is that going to be a bargain for the Suns? It already is, but starting next year when that actually kicks in, it's going to be a bargain. So he's defending Ingram really well in this game, and then C.J. McCollum is once again in a nightmare factory. I wrote last, uh, I tweeted in like around the third quarter of game four, I just proposed a proposition, Kevin, I Mm -hmm. proposed. I was like, C.J.'s 5 of 15 right now. I just wonder if Mikel's worn him down. I, I wonder if we're there. And he was 7, seven of, 22. of 22 tonight, and he was 1 of 9 when Mikel was on him. He's taking a lot of bad shots. Like, C.J. McCollum takes bad shots and makes bad shots a lot because he's C.J. McCollum, but the amount of, like, pull-up threes that he was taking just because he had a little bit of space, he was 1 of 8 from 3, and his three-point numbers were terrible in Game 4 as well. It just seems like not only has... Mikel won that physical battle, but he's won the mental battle as well. And we're talking about the guy who came in two months ago and single-handedly changed the trajectory of the Pelicans, their point guard, all of that. So for him to achieve all of that and then, by the way, have 31 freaking points on the other end, and not in a way, the way that I phrased it is, we can talk about like a role player having a huge game, right? Like Jose Alvarado scoring seven straight points the other night. Like He had 12 tonight, too. He had a really good game where they hit seven threes or they're suddenly running the offense through them or whatever. This was the Devin Booker version, Mikel Bridges version of 31 points where he's hitting open threes, the couple of dribble handoffs that he has to get into his mid-range game, he's knocking those down, the cuts, the transition play. It was just all of what he normally does, and that's, to me, that long spiel is exactly why I thought it was the best game he's ever played because it wasn't him not being himself. It was him completely being himself, but just going above and beyond in the ways I've never seen him do before. He was incredible in this game. I can't say anything bad about him. Um, I mean, it's not really that he knows what to do to defend Brandon Ingram, but he brought it to another level. Like, he had possessions on him earlier. I thought he was just, like, took it upon himself. Like, I haven't had the best game. But also, like, on the offensive end, I thought, like, the Suns got a lot of those. You talk about he wasn't like hunting shots because he doesn't do that, and Kel Bridges doesn't do that. The offense is running like it usually does because one, like Monty said, if you don't give up a million offensive rebounds, if you don't foul every time, like they still fouled a lot, still yeah. gave up thirteen offensive rebounds. Um, but if you play good defense and get stops, then the offense just flows that much easier and. They can't pressure Chris Paul and gunk up the offense. And the Suns, on the other hand, gunked up their the Pelicans' offense. Like, um, just the, how the, many deflective balls? Their best overall defensive performance, would you go that far? Because in, in the first half yeah. of the game when they were yeah. amazing, but in the second half of the game when they were kind of whatever. So overall for a game, I think this was their best defensive performance. Yeah, yeah. And, and just getting up into guys, knocking. They put pressure on their backcourt. Um, mm-hmm. Devontae Graham, it looked like they were literally targeting that dude. Um, I think they blitzed him even with Biombo, which was interesting. And, so and they blitzed Ingram, they which helped him not get in. So they're just getting into guys yeah. and, and throwing a few more things at them and testing them more, and it all added up. So they started meeting McCollum and Ingram at the level of the screen. I noticed that in the fourth quarter of Game 4, they started doing that on McCollum, uh, but they started doing it on Ingram too, where DeAndre Ayton was like, hey, 
I'm here now. What yeah. are you going to do, Brandon? Brandon was like, oh, I'm going to stop for a second. And then DeAndre's like, okay, I'll run back now. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll go make sure it Jonas was, is accounted like for. It was like in between a drop and kind of a level. And there were a couple times where it was like almost a hard hedge. But either way, it was Effective. helpful. 43 points combined for those two on 41 shots. Yeah. I didn't. I, I started writing it and I was like, hey, I'll, I'll lay off here. But again, this is. Brandon Ingram has been amazing in this series, and he hit really, really tough shots all night still. He still did, yeah. Um, CJ McCollum has been good in this series overall, but I think at the end of the day, we are talking about two guys who are borderline all-stars. And look, if this Brandon Ingram shows up next regular season, he's going to be an all-star. And he already has been one before, but we're not talking about guys who are in the conversation for being a top 10, top 15, top 20, top 25, top 30 player in the league right now we're just not talking about those caliber guys and i thought tonight was finally the first night where we saw that kind of show um for them because at the end of the day if those two guys aren't able to score efficiently they have no other offense they just don't yeah um Jonas was able to have his second straight good game i didn't think he was amazing like he was the night before 17 and 14 he was 7 of 11 from the field his touch was finally getting there after he just missed a lot of really weird shots in the first three games But with that in mind, they weren't able to get any other contributions anywhere else besides Jose Alvarado. Herb Jones finally looked like a rookie. I just kept thinking to myself, I'm like, is this just how, like, watching Minnesota and Memphis and, like, all these other series and just, like, are rookies in just guys' first year in their playoffs, like we saw with the Suns last year, is that just not a thing anymore? Or is it way less of a thing? But then... CP got him with the rip through twice. Yeah, Herb Jones is flying by on not even a pump fake, but Chris is just standing there waiting for him to fly by because he knows he doesn't even have to pump fake because he's Chris. Um, so th- the Pelicans just didn't get enough, and that was, again, this is sort of the, the Pelicans team that I expected. It took a really good Suns effort to bring out that Pelicans team, but for me, again, I uh, talk about good signs in the first quarter. Jackson Hayes was doing a whole lot of dribbling again, and that's where I was like, okay, that, they're, <laughs> they're doing something really right offensively in the same way where with how much Jay Crowder was doing in the Suns offense in a couple of those games, you thought New Orleans was doing a good job there. You want to talk about Chris? Yeah. 16 points in the first half. He played 21 minutes in the first half. There was a point where he drew free throws with about two minutes, three minutes left in the first half, and they showed him on the big screen. And I could tell watching him on the floor already that he was tired. But when they showed him up there, and I think they showed him on the broadcast as well because everyone was talking about how he just looked exhausted. Hands Um, on knees, yeah. Hands on knees. It was very Jose Alvarado. All those guys were, I think, not only it was not only them, but I think it was just – Offensive workload. There's a reason he doesn't do that every game because, like, physically at this age, he's got to pick his spots. And they aren't at a position now where they can afford to have him pick his spots. He knows that. So he he used his entire gas tank, I felt like, in the first half. In the second half, he started missing shots he normally makes. And I was like, oh, no, this is kind of, again, I just started feeling bad for him because I was like, oh, man, like, he, he – put everything he could into the game and now his body's just kind of letting him down but then he did have six huge points in the fourth quarter across like a three minute span from like six to three minutes left that just like kept the the pelicans at bay enough to not even keep the game as threatening as for his left hand um i got as definitive of an answer as i'm going to see i've talked about this on the podcast where i think i brought it up last western conference finals or the finals but 
if you watch Chris during his pregame routine, he does a series of things in threes a million times. You'll notice the one that everyone sees because they put it on TV all the time. When he has his back to the stanchion, he hits his back against it three times. He does a million other things up and down the baseline three times. And then at the end of doing those things, um, before uh, he does the stanchion thing, campaign, it was Javon Carter last year, will be waiting at the foul line for him after he does his own old stuff and then campaign will jog with chris paul behind him throw an imaginary basketball off the backboard and chris will dunk it he'll jump and hang on the rim with both hands last postseason i noticed him just jumping or just like tapping the backboard really or just tapping the rim or whatever because he had the left wrist he had the right hand and then tonight he just kind of touched the rim with his right hand and that was it didn't hang on it with the right hand didn't hang didn't touch it with the left hand at all the left hand had two taped fingers on it and again there were just moments today like the Alvarado eight second call again where he's just losing his handle and it's Chris Paul who has one of the best handles in the history of basketball so there is clearly something wrong there I can I can say that definitively now um but with that in mind as we saw I mean the both those injuries were in the Western Conference Finals Kevin and then he scored 41 in game six in the closeout so and that, that was with injuries to his right hand. Like, he had a partial front against his right hand. So he's a guy who's been able to play through insane injuries before, and I'm not saying that he can't in this series now, but for him to be dealing with something yet again, especially this early this time around, um, it it does bode much – It I, I kind of look at it and say, especially with that plus the workload they're asking out of him and need out of him right now, that if Devin Booker is actually going to be back for game six or if he's just going to be back sooner than we thought. Um, that would really, really help Chris out specifically because this is where I worry about what he's going through now. If they get to the Western Conference Finals and the Finals again, we see the same thing we saw last time, which was by the Finals he had nothing left. He was he was toast. It's, to me, it's like which one's the bigger deal? Is it that he looked tired or his hand doesn't work? Because <laughs> that's two different things that yep. both impact the Suns. They came out of halftime. And I'm pretty sure they ran three plays or four plays where Jay Crowder was bringing the ball up out of halftime. And I get it, like, okay, we've already expended this dude a bunch. Let's just let him sit in the corner for more time out of the half. But that's a weird time to me. That's not – that's, like, planned. That's – I don't know. It's – if you're thinking long playoff run and how does Chris Paul manage, like – they're going to have to get creative, and Monty has brought up, like, we're going to have these other guys bring the ball up. We had, we put a lot on him. Um, defensively, they were hunting him a little bit. I think they could have done more with Ingram, um, and, and he did hold up pretty well in most of those situations. But I think it's been the, the full-court pressure and specifically the hunting him on defense. I think it's it's drained him a bit. Yeah. It's, I think it's strained him a bit for sure. And I'm not saying, like, if you score 16 points in the first half, six or nine assists or whatever, like, you're doing a lot of work. Yeah. But other teams, I know, okay, Alvarado's really good. He basically gave the Pelicans, like, a plus six maybe shot attempts or minus, what, at six Suns attempts tonight. But... Other teams have guys who can do similar things, and they're going to try those. So I'm curious how that goes. Yeah, you think about 
Dallas potentially and you just wonder who on that roster is going to be in charge of pestering him in the way Herb Jones and it's probably going to be Dorian Finney-Smith who's going to be all over him the whole the whole series yeah like you're right it's never it's not going to stop I'm getting ahead of myself because they well, still got to get out of this but yeah but with that in mind the formula is here crash the offensive glass yeah. and do everything you can to wind down Chris Paul in in ways we didn't see previously to go through the rest of the Suns, DeAndre Ayton had an amazing six minutes to open the game, and then I thought he was great in this game overall. But the six minutes was just, it felt like Tone on every, every possession, it felt like he was doing something. They were running a lot of their actions through him early on, which was a very smart call by them. Jay played okay. I thought Cam Johnson was okay. That goes back to our, has anyone been above average in this game? I would say the only people that qualified for above average tonight, certainly Mikel, certainly DeAndre, certainly Chris, but that's probably it again. So it it wasn't the absolute flurry of uh, contributions we saw, but what we did see more of was a lot more average and a lot less bad. I think if we change the grading scale a bit and we go, like, how many players played bad out of these nine or, sorry, ten that logged minutes? I don't think anyone played bad, and fans are going to be throwing their (laughs) devices or listening to this out the window when we talk about campaign. But to start, the Suns hit threes in this game. They shot 10 of 27 from three. A lot of people were tweeting the similar kind of thing. After 5 of 15 in the first half, that felt like 15 of 15 because of how much they had been missing threes and just how much it was really affecting them it seemed like in their offensive flow uh the campaign thing i guy it doesn't yeah he okay this was his line he in 12 minutes he took 10 shots he was four of 10 he fouled out in 12 minutes three rebounds and assist two steals one turnover after the way that he played and everything, to support your claim, Kevin, he was still plus three in this game, and I have no idea how. I'm very confused by that number. He because scored that many points in that many minutes. The reason why, Kevin, people don't sprint down a basketball court and try a layup with 20 seconds left on the shot clock is because you're basically giving up a five-on-four in transition. He did that at least three times in this game. At least three times. And again... They were really on these guys to get in the paint. They need campaign to be campaign. So he was just, like I said, I think he's short-circuited. Whatever is going on in his like head in terms of how he's playing, it, it broke the way that he actually plays basketball in this game. Because I just, the fouls that he was committing, it was just, he was on a... Some of them looked questionable or they were effort where it was sure. like he almost got it. So I think... Like Monty said after the game, literally said, I love his aggression. I don't want him thinking out there, which maybe he wasn't. No. And then he says, that doesn't always lend itself to prototypical point guard play, which is basically Monty being like, I'm going to just take it because, like, if you look at how he was playing, he was, like, uber aggressive, too aggressive, just hyped, way too hyped. But I think Monty would rather have that because that's what this whole team has been, like, lacking. And I don't know. It it was a confidence. Obviously, he didn't play that great, but I don't know. The importance of him just being there to take stuff off Chris Paul, like, you can't not play him. And I said to you before this, like, Monty inserted him, like, with a couple minutes left for, I don't know if it might have been Shamit. Yeah because he wanted him to bring the ball up. Yep. Like, 
if he's playing, he's going to play. He's not out of the rotation ever. So the Pelicans had 14 assists to 15 turnovers. Ingram was a game worst, minus 16. I don't think that's fair because I thought he was their best player. Did anyone in this on the Pelicans play well, though? Anyone? Alvarado? Alvarado and Jonas. Okay. Jonas not, like, out of his mind, but he was... Yeah. Yeah, As, Alvarado, like, I, again, that dude... I don't know, Devontae Graham should not play anymore, probably. There's a reason he wasn't really playing. Uh, yeah. Because as you as you put it, um, he 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 be a dribble man, but <laughs> I mean he's not that good of a dribble man in terms of decision making. What he's doing on the floor, they've made and him so panic, the like, Suns yeah. like sort of the big neon sign was around his head that like he could be pressured into making mistakes, and he sure kept doing that. Um. Yeah, this is one where you wonder if Alvarado, 20 minutes, he plays even more, and then we see Tony Snell if, if uh, Willie Green wants to keep it at 10 guys, or, or maybe your boy Garrett Temple. I don't know what's going on yeah, there. Cause what's if, up there? If, I'm guessing Garrett Temple is no longer Garrett Temple because Garrett Temple's a, would, should, a Garrett Temple from two years ago that we know should play on this team, but, I mean, he's been around a bunch of teams that aren't very good, so I can't say he's with much certainty. That's probably something What's going on? It. He's really that old? Yeah, yeah that's crazy. So I, so I asked all that in, in to preview Game 6. Um, I am still sticking with my absolute uncertainty about this series and just about what's going to go on and maintain that it is a coin flip because this was just this was just one game. It was just one game. The Suns got Mikel Bridges' best game in a Phoenix Suns uniform. They got a really good DeAndre Ayton game. They got a really good Chris Paul game. And then again, like I said, pretty much everyone played okay. I thought that Shamit was maybe the one guy who didn't play well for them outside of that, and then the McGee minutes, again, were just were yeah. tough. But outside of that, Holiday, Biombo, Payne, and then the five starters, I think, all played well, and that is not what we have seen over the course of the series, so I think my question to you in just previewing Game 6, do you think this was a breakthrough, or do you, and aberration is the wrong word, but do you think that this is it's not that's too far do you think a breakthrough is too far to classify no, I think, that uh i would yeah no i would call it a breakthrough just because they found themselves and they, like I'm they not look gonna, like themselves i'm yeah. not gonna say that like like you said if the averages if ingram has a big game like suddenly it's different the pelicans were close like through most of this game despite the suns kind of pulling away a couple times so like I would say I wouldn't be surprised if the Pelicans won Game Six, but I'd be really surprised if they won two in a row, because I I, I think the Suns can find enough to win a Game Seven. I wouldn't be surprised if it goes to Game Seven though. It turns out that Mikel Bridge is just putting in one of the best individual defensive performances of the entire NBA season was what they needed on Brandon Ingram, not just heavy blitzing and trapping like a lot yeah. of people were talking about and we talked about as well last podcast, and I thought they were going to bring. We didn't see anything crazy like that. With that in mind, I bring that up because I think Willie Green has been the better coach in this series still through five games for sure, but this is where he really makes his money in terms of, okay, can he free up either of those guys early in game six? He gets, he gets one more chance to make adjustments. Um, what are his adjustments to get those two guys better looks? Because they got garbage looks tonight. They, yeah. were, they were bad. And those guys are used to take. They've been taking bad shots all series, don't get me wrong, and they've been going in. But they've been getting in rhythm, 
stuff yeah. as well, and that was nowhere to be found in this game, and now he's got to go back to the drawing board and figure out where to get those for what his guys. What did the Phoenix Suns shoot? Uh, they shot pretty well from three. I mean, if Cam Johnson or Jake Crowder starts hitting, or Chris Paul went 0 for 4, like... Yeah, it was a couple of guys. So Crowder, Johnson, and Paul combined to go 2 Man, of 14 the from best, 3. The best campaign play was he thought about shooting it, like, twice from 3 on the, like, right wing. And then he's like, wait, no. He moved it, and it was like a hockey assist to Cam Johnson in the far left corner, and he just, like, missed it badly. And it was like, oh, campaign's one, like, <laughs> I'm not going to settle for the like good shot i'm gonna search for a better shot it's not gonna pay him off and now he's not gonna take those anymore except, i don't know why i said that anyway except a couple of step back threes that he took and made yeah. but uh, other than that dude that was that was nuts um he's always been that type of player but to see it like fully unfold like that was crazy all right uh i gotta wake up in eight hours for my flight to new orleans so we should probably stop the podcast now uh fair we are not a biased podcast. We are not Phoenix Suns fans. Uh, there will be part of me rooting for the Suns to, uh, on Thursday, Kevin, because... No, I, you're uh, rooting for your own health. I'm rooting for the fact that we can get... It sounds like, no matter what, that the the second round uh, for the Suns, if they get there, would start on Monday. So the thought of doing like Ooh. just basically no break, going straight in from the first series to the second series with the Game 7, potentially, um, I will be... Part of me will be rooting for the Suns for my own mental health, yes. Cause Give you, Kellen Beignets and a yeah, weekend. Free weekend. Yeah, no delays in Dallas either way, please, for my connecting flights. Because poor Gerald Bourget and Dwayne Rankin got stuck in Houston or stuck waiting for things to happen in Houston for an entire day. It was so bad for Ken Summers from the Arizona Republic that <laughs> his <was> <laughs> flight just got canceled. And then it just wound up with a, hey, why don't I just stay in New Orleans? And he made that happen. God bless him. Amazing move on his part. Uh, looking forward to That's seeing That's the vet move. Yep. Looking forward to seeing him out there. And then, oh, my gosh, looking forward to a 4.30 p.m. local tip, a 6.30 p.m. tip. So when I'm talking about starting the podcast at 2 a.m., it's going to be more like midnight now, which is yes. re- much more reasonable for the kid. Uh, who do the Cardinals take in the draft? Let's, we're going to break this down at the end of the next podcast, Ooh. too. I sent, I said, A Washington cornerback, perhaps. I said McDuffie in the yeah. in the roundtable we have, but I wanted to say I was going to say Kyler Gordon just because it seems like in the mocks that I was looking at the last couple of weeks, McDuffie wasn't going to be there. Um, but someone always falls, and I seem, McDuffie seems like the no-brainer, best available, and like need guy, and they love Washington DBs. They need an edge rusher or an interior lineman, though. If Olave or Jameson Williams is on the or board that, yeah. and they don't take that yeah. guy, next time we're doing this podcast, I'm going to just jump okay, off the right one. over yeah. there. We're in the second row of suite level. I'm just going to jump and see what happens when I land 40 feet down there. <laughs> Saying pay Kyler Murray while I fall to my broken legs. Okay, buddy. We hope you guys don't take any falls that will break your legs. We'll be back on Thursday night, the road edition of these React uh, Insta Reacts. Hope you guys have been enjoying these. By the way, as you can tell, we're putting we put in the extra work just to give you guys the instant uh, game by game, and it's all always fun to do this anyway. I told you that it's like we we have adrenaline at these games anyway, so it's it's, it's a nice little release What's to get the minimum those out. amount of time you can fall asleep after like you're done from a game, including this like a podcast night. Like when you're like just like close a regular laptop, one? I'm done. Um, two hours, 
minimum. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, I hope that's not the case tonight because that will mean I'll get yeah. like five hours of sleep. Uh, so yeah, we'll see. I we'll, don't know if I'm getting that. We'll go now, buddy. Okay. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. Like I said, Thursday we'll be back. Hopefully, a Suns win for Kevin and Kellen's sanity. Goodbye.